him in a dream and said, Solomon, you can ask for anything you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for an understanding heart, a discerning spirit, which was a pretty amazing request that, uh, you know, you can have anything you want. And he said, basically, I want to have a mind like you, Lord. I want to be able to understand things uh, from your perspective. I want to be wise. And God gave him that. And God blessed him. We talked about, spent one week talking about his wisdom. You go to the book of Proverbs, many of which were written by him. And he was used by God to reveal a lot of wisdom to the world through Proverbs, uh, through his influence throughout the world. He was known throughout the world. We spent some time talking about how God blessed him with riches and honor and not only wisdom, but just uh, success in every way. But then we come to 1 Kings 11. You ever known, well, I know the answer to this, but I ask it anyway. Outside of Solomon, outside of a Bible character, you know someone that you really respected. Maybe, maybe you didn't know him or her personally, but someone that you respected. Maybe you did know him personally, but regardless, one of the last people you'd ever think who would, who would fall. I mean, really just, I'm talking about a, a believer, a, a Christian. And from every appearance, everything that you thought, and you had every reason to believe that his or her faith was genuine, and yet, and yet whatever, something happened, and, and he or she fell. Fell away from God, maybe fell in some sort of dramatic way, or maybe it wasn't just a dramatic fall. Maybe it was just a, you know, it seemed to, to be a gradual thing. But whatever the, the end result was, someone whom you respected as being truly and fully and wholeheartedly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ turned his or her back on the Lord and lost his or her faith completely. You know anybody like that? I'm guessing the answer to that is yes. How's that happen? How does that happen? I think you've probably already wrestled with that before. How, how does that happen? And, and I guess like we tend to do in most of our lessons and sermons, we do a little bit of uh, introspection for us too, right? Is, is could it happen to me, you? Could, could it happen to us? Could it happen to somebody who's sitting here tonight and your heart belongs to the Lord and you really, you know, you, know, you recognize your imperfections, your weaknesses and all that, but could it happen to you? You're, you're walking with him and yet could, could something happen? Could it be a, a, a big single event or, or maybe could it be a series of small events that just lead to your losing your faith? I think those are things we ought to wrestle with. I know I'm talking to a Sunday night audience and uh, you've, You've come back to be a part of the second assembly today, so it's not, it's not as if you just show up once a week, you know. I mean, you're, you're the Sunday night crowd. So how does this relate to you, and how does it relate to us individually? Let's look at 1 Kings 11, and, and, and let's talk about how it happened to him. Most of the application I'll leave to you. I'll leave, I'll leave to you to think about your own life. Uh, I'll, I'll, do a little, I'll do a little leading statements with, you know, with that, but... Most of it I'm going to leave to you and the Lord to, to think about how it applies to things that may be going on in your life that nobody else knows about. I don't know. First Kings 11. Let's read the first 14 verses, all right? Just follow along. <clears throat> now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. 
For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I've chosen. And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house in Edom. And it goes downhill from there. So, Solomon, what happened? What happened to him? What happened to the man who said, I am like a little child, God, and I don't have a clue how to lead this great people of yours, but if I can have anything in the world, I just want to have a mind like yours, a discerning spirit, an understanding heart. What happened to that Solomon? And how could his request in few chapters before this, how, how could that request be granted by God, and then you come to this? How, how, could, it, how could it happen? Could it happen to us, you know? I mean, these are, these are pretty important questions. I want to share with you a few things that I think the text points to, hints at, and, and you'll see some application to, to us all. You see, of course, what the text says. Let's think about what the text says. Pretty straightforward. He marries about 700 women. He has about 300 concubines. We'll, we'll talk more about the significance of that in just, a, in just a moment. But, I mean, that certainly is a focal point of the text. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, he, he, that's how it starts out. That seems to be this kind of theme that divides these, that, that permeates these verses. And, and you've got all these other nations mentioned, which I'll come back to in just a second. You've got these other gods, Chemosh and Milcom and um, these... If you read about these gods, these Chemosh and Milcom, those two mentioned specifically, I mean, all sorts are just abominate. It's not like they just chose another god who represented love, mercy, and grace and, you know, be the best person you can and all that. These, these Chemosh and Milcom and Molech, these, these gods, these are the ones that God had said in Deuteronomy, you know, they, they, wor they worship these gods, especially Molech, by child sacrifice, other kinds of human sacrifice, just all sorts of sexual perversion. It was really ugly stuff. And, and Solomon somehow was able to convince himself that that was okay. You wonder how that happened. Let me give you some hints. First one is this. If you're following along in the back of the bulletin, you'll see there, there are five of them here. You could come up with more perhaps. And some of these are stressed more than others. But number one is he did not really believe in God's promises. He didn't really believe them. He didn't really believe in God's promises. God had said, if you were to, and I'd encourage you to make a note at least and do this later, 
go back and read Deuteronomy 17. This is where God talked about the king a long time ago. This is right before they went into the land of, uh, of Canaan. Right before Moses died, Joshua took over and took them into the land. So they're getting ready to go into the land. Deuteronomy's given. And in Deuteronomy 17, God, God said, okay, Moses, tell the people this. There's going to come a time when they're going to want a king. And they're going to want a king like everybody else. And, and this is, these are some requirements. When that happens, I want, I want this to be written down. I want the people to have this as a guidebook so that when they do get to that point, this is what the king is supposed to do. This is what he's supposed to be. And these are things he should not do and he should not be. And Deuteronomy 17 specifically, it mentions a couple things. It mentions, first of all, do not marry the wives of the people, the women of the people of the land. And number two, do not accumulate for yourself gold and all these material possessions. And he also says, you know, don't increase the size of your armies and all that. So he had some restrictions here. This is, he's supposed to be committed to the law. Obey the law, obey the law, obey the law, and I'll bless you and disobey the law and I'll punish you. And specifically he mentions the marriages, which are political alliances. And he mentions gold, accumulation of material things, and he mentions the army. And, and, and there's, something, there's something significant about all that because why, in this context, and, and it's, it's hinted at in 1 Kings um, 11 here, why does Solomon marry all of these women? Is it lust? No. That's not what it is. <clears throat> I'm not saying that wasn't a factor in some of this, but that's not primarily the reason. In fact, it says... Seven, married 700 who were princesses, and a princess is the daughter of a king. What happened is, and we, we see this happening in 1 Kings 3, even before God gave him all the wisdom, it started early, but um, he, he, made these, he, he, he married these princesses in order to make political alliances with these kings of the nations in Canaan. Now, why do you do something like that? I mean, think about it with me for a second. Why do you do so? Why do you make a political alliance when God said, don't make political alliances and don't do it by marrying the daughters of these kings? Why do you make a political alliance? You make a political alliance because you want to make sure that you covered all your bases and that, and the reason you made an alliance like that is a king whose daughter is in your palace is most likely not going to attack you, Right? Because he's not going to attack your nation when his daughter is in your palace. It's a political alliance that ensures, from a political perspective, the safety of your nation. So Solomon did not trust in the promises of God because what God said is don't trust in political alliances, don't trust in gold, and don't trust in your armies because I will take care of you if you're faithful to the covenant. He didn't trust in the promises of God. That's why he did it. He thought, okay, won't hurt. Politically speaking, you know, I need Egypt on my side. I need Moab not to be angry with me. I need the Midianites and the Ammonites and all the other ites in the land. I need, we need to be on good terms. He didn't trust that God would take care of him. That's why, he, and, and you also have the accumulation of God. Why do you accumulate material things? Well, you can send them. You can, you can make exchanges with other nations. Uh, why do you accumulate armies, horses, chariots? Why do you do that? Because you want to be militarily secure. And God had said in Deuteronomy 17, don't do those things. I will take care of you. You just keep covenant, be faithful, and everything will be okay. So what's happening here in 1 Kings 11, and I think this is not just that, you know, he woke up one morning and said, hey, I'm going to marry a thousand different women. It's been happening for years. This is Solomon not trusting God would do what he said. So, let me make a statement to you, and you think about it. Maybe you've thought of it before. 
every sin we commit is because we do not believe. We do not truly believe. In that moment, and maybe it's a general pattern, but in that moment, we do not truly believe or trust in the promises of God in that area, whatever that area is. We don't, we don't really believe it. Think about it. Whatever sin it is, whatever area of my life, your life, that is outside of the will of God, in that little corner, that area, I'm saying to God, I know what you said, but I want to do this because I don't, I'm not, we wouldn't say this out loud, but this is what we think. Maybe we don't even think it consciously. But I don't fully trust, God, that you knew what you were doing about when you put a fence around that. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? Uh, this, that's what Satan said to her. Um, this, this fruit, you know, God's just trying to keep it away from me because he didn't want you to be like him. He, it's good for food. She saw it was good for food and tree to make you wise. And, and what, what was Eve's great sin in Genesis 3? What was Adam's great sin? They truly didn't believe. They didn't fully believe God God was giving them everything they needed. They, they, they thought that over there, there's something outside of the will of God that I need that'll provide me an extra level of happiness that God will not give me. And you take that in every area of our lives and you think about how it applies to you in different ways, certainly with people in this room, you know, different stages of life, different things that we're, we're facing. It applies to the way we use money, the, the way we give, the, the way we sacrifice in order to serve other people. God, I know you said for me to do this, but I need to, I need to do this to make sure I'm secure. I don't fully trust. I've, I've got to make sure that I've, I've got all the numbers working over here from a financial, secular perspective because I don't fully trust that you'll take care of me. What about romance or dating if you're single and, 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 and you know there's someone who's in your life that is not someone who builds you up Encourages your faith. But, but I'm not sure. I'm, maybe I think that this person would, would make me happy. I know, I know what God said. You know, I know what God wants, but, but that. And you can go on and on and on with that. You just think about whatever sin it is you're struggling with. And there's some reason, and this is all of us, there's some reason why we're pursuing that. And it has to do with a lack of faith in that specific area. A lack of faith that God's going to keep his promise. So Solomon made political alliances. He accumulated gold. And he accumulated armies because he didn't trust that God would take care of him. That's the way it works in every situation, I think. Root cause of all sin is unbelief. In fact, the, you know, the Bible makes that kind of, um, it equates those two ideas. Disobedience is unbelief. <clears throat> Book of Hebrews, you can read um, what the writer there said. Number two. This is closely related, and maybe there's certainly an argument could be made that these overlap, but um, he disregarded the Word of God. I want, I want to make a slight distinction between those two. The first one is not trusting in, not trusting in the character of God, you know? And the, and the second one is this, to dis, disregard what God said specifically. And again, lots of overlap there, but I've already mentioned some of this, quite a bit of it. First uh, Kings 11, verse 2, text we read. Um, he, he took these, these wives 
from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their God. Solomon clung to these in love. I mean, you know, the narrator here says Solomon just willfully disobeyed what God had said. This wasn't like an ambiguous area, some sort of gray area where well, I'm not really sure what God wants me to do here. God had said, Deuteronomy 17, specifically, do not do this. Somehow Solomon got to a point in his life where he lost enough faith in God where he blatantly disobeyed the word of God. So, I think we ought to ask ourselves, is there an area of our lives where we are disregarding what God said. Is there an area? Just think about that. Pray about that. What area is there where God has been quite clear and yet because I don't truly trust him, I'm saying I'm going to do what I want to do, Lord, instead of what you said to do. I'm not going to, you know, I mean, you get this idea. It's just, I think it's, it's easy for you and me to get comfortable um, in, in, the, in the big areas. Uh, well, at least I don't do that. You know, at least I'm doing this. Well, where are those areas maybe where we're not really listening to the word of God? <clears throat> Solomon got to a point where he could do that somehow. Somehow in his conscience, he got there. Here's the third one. He allowed sinful people to drag him down. Now, these wives, these princesses and concubines, again, the, the source of this, I think, is political. It is security. It's doing these, making these alliances. But the text is pretty clear that these women who came from these other gods, these, these other countries that worshipped other gods, obviously, they were devoted to the gods of their upbringing. And they brought those priorities and those loves and those passions into the marriage and into the influence that they had over Solomon. You know, you wonder what it was like. How, how could he have a personal relationship with a thousand different women, wives, concubines? I don't, I don't know what that must have been like. I, I don't know what kind of personal relationship he had with many of these. But he had enough of a relationship with enough of them to where they turned his heart away. Now this certainly, don't read this as any kind of a sexist thing, as in women are the sources of all evil. But do read this, do read this as an, an evil influence over the heart of someone who should have known better. This certainly is in the text, right? It's interesting that in the book of Proverbs, many of whom Solomon wrote, many of which Solomon wrote, it says stuff like this, Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 12, 26 in the NIV says, the righteous choose his friends, uh, their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. They choose their friends carefully. Someone once said that you'll become the average of your five closest friends. You've probably seen some of those studies that suggest, you know, you hang around people who are most like you in various ways, socioeconomically, educationally, and so on. 
you tend to be drawn to people who have the same kind of priorities that you have. This is a very practical thing, so let's talk about it just for a second. And I, I didn't time this very well with our youth being gone tonight. Um, I didn't think about that till, till just now. But, so I might come back to this when they're here, and some of them, some of them are here, and some of them aren't. But <clears throat> this, is, this is so important. So let me talk to the parents, let me talk to the youth who are here. <clears throat> it, it is one of the most important things in rearing children, I believe, is to bring your children up so that they find and marry a Christian. That they find someone who loves Jesus more than he or she loves them. So parents, um, we've got so many good parents in this church, and it's just always heartwarming to see the kids up here singing their songs with Mr. Kyle and to hear those voices. Let me talk to those children for a minute and talk to their parents. If you're not already doing this, which I'm sure many of you are, pray every day that your son or daughter will grow up and marry someone who loves Jesus more than anything in the world. More than anything in the world. That is, I want to say, the most significant thing, the most significant thing they'll ever do, of course, is decide to follow Jesus and love him themselves. But close behind that is the person they'll choose to spend the rest of their lives with. And I don't, I mean, you know this. We're not talking about someone who goes to church or someone who's uh, merely someone who, you know, has his name, her name on a church roll or goes to the right kind. We're, we're talking about someone who loves Jesus, who is committed to, to being a Jesus follower. Uh, it's just so crucial. I know that there are exceptions to this, and I'm sure we've got, I haven't, I'm sure there are exceptions in this room where people married non-Christians and were able through your influence over time to convert, and, and that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing, and I'm so thankful that that does happen. So this in no way uh, cast dispersion on that sort of thing, not at all. Only that those situations are outnumbered by a factor, I don't know what the factor would be, but they're outnumbered significantly by all of those relationships that are created and there is no conversion and in many cases where a person is drawn away from his or her love for Jesus Christ. I just think we, um, and, I, and I, to, to the parents, I think one of, the, one of the things that you need to think about, not that you're necessarily disagreeing with this in your mind right now, uh, but is just to pray about this with, with all of your heart and... Uh, and then use your influence over them. Teach them from, from a young age to find somebody to, who loves Jesus more than he or she loves your child. And uh, that will go so far in helping your child to remain faithful to the Lord. It's just a crucial thing. So if nothing else, Solomon's example is, teaches us that, that when we choose to have the most intimate of relationships with people who don't know God, it has an influence on us. We may be able to lead a person to Christ, or we may not. And in the cases where we do not, it's a very difficult situation because you have children growing up with mixed allegiances in their parents if, you, if a person remains faithful, or even worse is when you 
or a person is then drawn away by the unbelief of his or her spouse. And then children grow up in an environment where neither is a Christian. Solomon did this. You know, he allowed these influences. And this applies certainly to friends, but even more so it applies to the person you choose to spend your life with. Just a crucial thing. And I know, I know um, folks here in the church know this, but just if, maybe if you've gotten away from that or stopped thinking about it, stop praying about it, let this be a reminder to you just to, just to go back to that and put it on your daily prayer list and, and talk to your children. Let them hear you praying for it. And to the young people who are here tonight, um, you marry whom you date, you know. The person you marry is most likely going to come from the person that you choose to date. It's almost 100% on that. So choose people to spend time with who are Christians. Date people who are Christians. Date people who love the Lord. And, uh, and you've, you've gone a long way toward just, uh, you know, this kind of influence in your life will help you to be faithful. Here's number four. Solomon turned away slowly. He turned away slowly. I guess there's, there's kind of a, a temptation to read this, and you're, everything's good, you know, it seems. Prayed for wisdom, got wisdom, got riches, everything's, you know, expanding the borders of the kingdom, all this stuff. And then chapter 11, boom, it just, it's it, right? Well, I, think, I don't think that's the way we ought to read it. In fact, if you go back to 1 Kings 3, which is prior to his asking for and receiving wisdom from God, he's already made a political alliance with the daughter of the king of Egypt, with Pharaoh in Egypt. This is not something where everything is going well and he's got wisdom and, and, and borders of the kingdom are expanding and all this stuff. And then he wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm going to marry, I've got one wife, I'm going to marry 999 more. You know, These political alliances have been going on for, gener- for, for, uh, for decades, for a long time. And th- this, this happens slowly. And if you might go back to 1 Kings 3. So a practical question. Again, a leading question for us to reflect on how this text maybe impacts us. Is there an area of your life where you're letting your guard down? Most likely you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, you know, I don't love Jesus anymore. I don't, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Typically it doesn't happen like that. It happens with a series of small decisions, little compromises that we make, compromises that we make with lust, with our money, with our anger, with our words, with our priorities, with our relationships. Little compromises that we make, small compromises at first, and then they get a little bit bigger over time. It's just the way it works, right? It's human nature. It just happens over time. And then what happens is you wake up to 1 Kings 11. Uh, That's what happens. 1 Kings 11 happens, but it happens after you've already made the first one, and then the second one's a little bit easier, and then the third and fourth and so on. You know how it works. That's the way it happens with so many things. It's the way it happened with Solomon and that's the way it happens with us. Here's the last one, all right? By the way, on that, James 1.15, if you're taking notes, it's a process of, uh, you know, seeing, of desiring, of taking, of sinning, and ultimately leading to death. But it's a, it's a process. It takes place over time. Here's the last one. His success has caused him to become complacent. His success has caused him to become complacent. Solomon was blessed tremendously. Isn't that interesting? He was blessed. Wisdom, money, Uh, political success, economic success, geographical success, expansion of the kingdom. And he was blessed. People from all over the world. We studied a couple weeks ago with Queen of Sheba coming and just being amazed by Solomon's wisdom and how everything was just so, so great, you know. Don't you think that factored in with Solomon? That he had, his life was just a series of nearly unbroken successes. And yet, all those successes couldn't keep his heart 
where it needed to be. In fact, you can make the argument, certainly, and this is, I don't think this is clearly spelled out in the text, and so, so this one is, is a little more, more tenuous than the previous ones, but I, I believe with all my heart that you see this happening with Solomon, is his line of unbroken successes led to complacency, which led to a fall. And this happens, doesn't it? This happens. When things go well, and they consistently go well, we tend to become complacent. We talked about this morning how God uses evil and uses bad stuff to bring about good. And that's certainly true even with spiritual things and even with, with financial things. We don't need everything to go well all the time. We, by human nature, tend to become complacent when that happens. And so, just a warning. Typically, if, if you're struggling... I know sometimes that causes people to turn away from God, but my experience has been more often than not, when people are struggling, they, they, especially if they've got a good base of faith, those people are, are, are pulled into a closer relationship to God. And I think if there's not a good base there, yeah, you see it push people, some people away. But if they've got a good base of faith, they're drawn closer to God. But what happens, Satan, I think sometimes knows that a better way to work with some folks is to let everything go really well. Let everything go really well. Let me get them comfortable, complacent, and then draw their heart away from God. Isn't that the rich young ruler? I mean, Matthew 19. Uh, keep the commandments. Jesus told him, I've done this since I was a kid. You know, sell what you got. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He had great success and it allowed him to become spiritually complacent. He turned his, way, his heart away from God. Solomon, Solomon. It's a sad story, really. Because if you just read 1 Kings 3 and fit next few chapters, you'd think, wow, this is really, really amazing. This is, this is a life worthy of emulation. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. But then you've got 1 Kings 11. And I think this is told. It's, it was told to Israel to get them to realize that, you know, if you don't keep the covenant, it, your heart's going to be drawn away from God, and it's given to us tonight so that we might learn the same lesson, I think, and that is, let's be careful about our faith. Let's don't let our guards down. Let's don't become complacent. Let's be careful about our alliances, our, those people we invite into our inner circle who influence us and draw us either closer to God or away from Him. Let's be careful, because even those who are very close to God at points in their lives can be drawn away, and I don't want it to happen to anybody in this room or any of our kids. If you're not a Christian tonight, we invite you to come to Jesus Christ, uh, trust in him with all of your heart, and let him walk with you. Let him forgive you and bless you. He wants you to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, that you might receive God's Spirit and walk with him in a beautiful life of companionship and blessing. And we invite you to uh, make that confession tonight. If you are a child of God, but come here tonight as one who needs to ask for prayers or encouragement from us, your church family. We're here to help you. Uh, if you need to come, do, do so now. Let's stand. Let's sing. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have alone.
Please remain standing. Um, for those of you that were not able to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, it will be provided for you just as we sing this, uh, uh, <clears throat> these verses of this song uh, come up to the front pews and you will be taken care of. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this chance we have to come again to assemble around this table and to reflect upon the death of our Lord and Savior. Pray now for those who partake at this time that they'll do so in a worthy manner. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. God, as we continue our worship, we're thankful for the blood that was shed so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. Help us to reflect upon our lives. Help us to be sacrifices for you. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.
You know, it's time to give back. Let's pray. Once again, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day and the, the chance we have to come and worship you. Thank you for all the things that you bless us with here in this world. Thank you for all the physical and material blessings that we have. Pray that those who uh, give back at this time will do so with a cheerful spirit. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, could just add a few prayer requests uh, to our care lines um, tonight. Um, I, uh, first of all, I don't know if it was announced that Drew Spivey's grandmother passed away, uh, so we need to be uh, praying for Drew and the Spivey family. Um, second of all, um, Butch Haynes, whose name has been in the care lines, um, Beth Burleson, uh, Bart and Beth, uh, who are attending here, uh, Beth Burleson's father, um, got a bad report um, on a PET scan uh, this this week, and so let's be praying for them. Uh, his cancer has returned and is metastatic, uh, so uh, please pray for Beth uh, and Bart and Butch and Theresa Haynes, and I'm going to lead a prayer, prayer on their behalf in just a minute. Um, also, my father, Doug Abbott, will have a knee replacement uh, tomorrow morning, and I'm uh, would appreciate your prayers on his behalf uh, as he uh, has surgery uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, if you don't mind, let's go to God in prayer on behalf of these. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for another day of life and another day to worship you. Father, we love you so much and we're so thankful for Jesus and the sacrifice that was given for us on the cross. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God that hears our prayers Father, we pray especially right now for the Spivey family that you'll be with Drew and his family uh, in their grief and the passing of his grandmother, that you'll bless and strengthen them. Father, for Butch and Theresa Haynes, we pray that you'll bless and be with Butch. Father, we pray that you'll uh, strengthen them. Uh, Father, we know that, that, that they will, he will be getting an additional chemotherapy drug. We pray that that will be helpful. Uh, we pray that you will comfort them at this time, be with Bart and Beth. Uh, especially and strengthen them. Father, we pray that you will uh, bless and be with that family during this difficult time. Father, we pray that you'll bless and be with my father tomorrow as he has surgery. Doug Abbott, we pray that you'll uh, strengthen the uh, physicians and nurses that will be taking care of him. We pray that you will uh, help his surgery to go well and that his recovery would go well also. Father, again, we're thankful for this opportunity that we have had to worship you. We, pray, we praise you. We honor you. Uh, and we thank you. First in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. In keeping with the announcements, I just remembered something. One of the sisters, uh, Sister um, <clears throat> Sue Ann Myers, approached me just prior to uh, the beginning of service. And apparently this morning, after morning service in the ladies' restroom, some, uh, somebody left a denomination of money on the counter, which was found. And uh, so um, if that was you or you know who, whoever that was, I think what I'll do is I'll give it to either John or somebody, one of the, maybe Chuck or somebody to hang on to. And you come up and, and reclaim your, your money. So um, uh, <clears throat> to our visitors, again, I want to um, uh, 
Uh, thank you so much for being in our attendance, and we want to extend that open invitation that anytime you're in the area that you come and worship here with us, it's again an honor and a privilege uh, to have uh, uh, the message brought to us week in and week out by, by Chuck. We're just blessed beyond measure. Um, his, his message today, what resonated with me was the fact that um, praying for your children to marry a Christian. You know, um, for my wife and I, our kids have just flown the coop and, you know, now the kids are starting to meet folks that we're not introducing them to. And marrying a Christian doesn't by itself create a life of bliss, but it certainly helps to jump over one big hurdle. So you said many things that are important, but that really resonated with me, Chuck, and just so thankful to be able to divide the word with each and every last one of you. In terms of our next meetings, of course, uh, Wednesday we have midweek Bible study from 7 to 8. <clears throat> then again on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday school from 9 to 10, then first service at 10 to 11, and then that brings us back here at 5. With that being said, let's sing our last song, number 852. We will be singing the first and third verses, and if it is convenient, let us stand and air out our lungs. Let's do this. <clears throat> When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more And the morning breaks the further bright and swear When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore And the roll is called up yonder I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder Pray with me. 